Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of that guy that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast, August 19th, one of Star Trek's biggest icons, or celebrity fans, or both, will be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by Star Trek Deep Space Nine's very own quark, Armin Shimmerman. One of the primary features of Star Trek that made it different from other shows was that it believed humans are improving. They will vastly improve in the 23rd century. Okay, thank you, Armin Shimmerman, for reading that quote so eloquently. Mm-hmm. All these delicious voices we're hearing. We'd like to welcome our guest host, Josh Olson, who is a Academy and BAFTA-nominated screenwriter. And um, Josh, why don't you jump in and say, what is, what's something about Star Trek? Like, I could say, oh, they had a black... But what's some otherness about Star Trek that struck you that they were trying to do with that show? Yeah, I think one of the things that I sort of figured out over time that, that I really clicked with the show is that, you know, I'm somebody... Somebody said this about me recently, a friend, that like I'm, you're someone who likes to build communities. And I had never thought about it that way, but I sort of do. And it's, we could go into that for hours and I should probably talk to a therapist. But um, <laughs> there's there's a uh, – uh, it's, it's communal. It's one of the things I, – I hesitate to say anything bad about any, any Star Trek show or film. But I think it's one of the reasons that the Next Generation movies didn't quite work for me was that just by nature of being a film and a two-hour film, they had to sort of zero in on one or two characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas the great mm-hmm. thing about that show, uh, Next Generation, and, and sort of all the iterations afterwards, was that they had become this great community. You can have an entire episode about three characters one week and never see the captain, you know? And yeah. and um, that, that was so appealing. And that those communities were based not on physical similarities or cultural similarities, but on both acceptance and curiosity and a desire to learn. And uh, that, that always really appealed to me that, that, you know, even, even the, the sort of most straight ahead, you know, Kirk beams down to a planet and has to fight with a lizard. They still have to (laughs) solve a problem. He still Uh has to figure out the situation and the, the people in the ship have to figure out the situation to, to save him. It's never just about how hard you can punch somebody in the face. And, right. and I really responded to that. Um, and, and I think it's one of the things that keeps that show going is that that's that's riding underneath it is like we can all work together. We can all solve things together. I really love the episodes that really put you in a position of trying to solve the problem with them. I understand sometimes it has to be like, you know, Jordy figures out that a, you know, nodal capacitor will only work with a dilithium transformatron. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, whatever. But, but you know, like I, I think it's a great one where uh, – 
you know, Picard beams down to, to Paul Winfield and he only speaks in metaphor. And by mm-hmm. the end of the episode, you know the mm-hmm. language, you understand, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Shaka when the walls Shaka fell. When the walls fell. I say it to my wife sometimes. She looks at me like <laughs> I'm a lunatic, but, but, uh, uh, I love that about it. it. It was like, and it did it in a way that wasn't like, you know, uh, we wouldn't be talking about the show. If it was like this week on Star Trek, learn how to solve it. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's just like, by the end of it, you're like, Oh my God, I, I actually watch people, uh, you know, uh, address an issue and, and solve it by thinking about it. And, and I feel like I got a little bit smarter in the process. Yeah. It's that, that thing that we talked about earlier, like you're learning, you don't realize you're learning. Like Gene was able to sneakily yeah. get those things yeah. in there. For me, what set, uh, Star Trek apart from other shows and from other franchises like Star Wars, right? Like, I think Star Trek is the true science fiction, whereas Star Wars is more like, you know, space fantasy. It's it's more about, you know, swashbuckling in space, which is fine and fun. And I love all that, you know, Baby Yoda, my new favorite thing. But like in Star Trek, you saw tangible science. It, it's, it was, you know, invented science. But, you know, when Geordi was talking about the dilithium and the warp core, like you believed it because it was just so well written. And then as we saw over time, the communicator turned into a flip phone and the, the pad, the P-A-D-D, became the actual iPad. Uh, and that's what I love about Star Trek and what I think sets it apart from so many other things is that it just kind of set a blueprint for what could be yeah. and then... It happened. I think to piggyback off what you're saying, Trent, um, for me, when I look at this quote, I I think of the thing I'm most grateful for, you know, being weaned on Star Trek as a kid, was that even though they're traveling the stars, right, and they're reading all these different uh, aliens and things, it's not with the manifest destiny Mm -hmm. uh, of our forefathers. Mm -hmm. It is not to go and conquer and claim and put your flag there and it is now my property and kill everyone else and just, it's us now. It's not that. And and that's rare for the times because we are a capitalist society, Mm -hmm. right? So we're raised up on manifest destiny. Go claim that, go get it. Doesn't matter who you crush while you're climbing up that hill or you step on or you don't look back to help as long as you claim your destiny. Mm. And I like that Star Trek, while not uh, hitting it over the head, right? But that was my takeaway when I watched it. My favorite episodes are the ones that focused on the prime directive and what that meant about stay, about hands off. Like we are explorers, we are guests, we are not meant to interfere. And then invariably there will be some mix up or some mistake or intentional uh, violation of the prime directive. And then therein comes the conflict. But uh, I exactly what you're saying, like, right. It's not our divine right yes. uh, as white men in a, in a spaceship <laughs> to yep. go Although, to, to be colonize fair, the to be fair, How many episodes did Kirk go <laughs> screw it and hop into bed with some green lady and then, no, you know, punch, sleeping punch with aliens alien in the face. And no, that's them. his own personal <laughs> manifest <laughs> destiny. Yeah. You know, I, Screw whoever you want around the galaxy. I don't care about that. He was always, you know, "Ah, we're going to make these people fight a war with real guns. That'll teach them. And you're like, "Mm." well, it was of its times to that extent. But but no, it's a great idea. Even just giving lip service to the idea was something, you know, that you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And even the narrative in Star Trek did change. Like that no longer became the the MO. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Will Riker was down having sex and not waging war. That's right. But if I if I pick 
picked that up as a child, you know, when I was watching it, which I kind of did, which is we're here to look and explore and do this and sleep with everyone we want. And that's fun, too. Uh, that's that's in my psyche. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not just me. Maybe it is a whole generation of people who watched it and it was sort of imbued in them before they had the words for manifest destiny mm-hmm. or conquer. And that's part of our DNA now to realize you can observe. Well, yeah, and think about how many people grew up on Star Trek and then went to work for like NASA or, you know, became scientists. Yeah. And, you know, that's, yeah. and, and you, you'll probably end up cutting this. Um, because for all the horrible things I say, this is, this is really the one that will get you in the most heat. The reason I love Star Trek <laughs> and, and, and tolerate Star Wars is there is that huge difference. It, it, Star Trek is everything we're talking about here. You watch it. It shows you people from all walks of life who mm-hmm. are just, they are where they are because they have found their passion and they're pursuing it. And they're finding other people who are passionate about other things and working with them and learning to collaborate with them. And anybody can be anything. You can You can work hard. And you can, you know, a blind black kid from wherever the hell Jordy is from can mm-hmm. be an engineer on, you know, the flagship of the Starfleet, uh, of Starfleet. Star Wars, all the main characters are born to greatness. It's basically this fascist world where, like, you think Luke is just a far boy. No, he's born to it. You right. think Ren is just some kid. Right. No, she's born to it. And then there's all these other characters, the sort of undermenches who support them and are interesting, but they are still in service of. You know, these Did you call them undermenches? I'm stealing that. I'm yeah, that's I'm the opposite not, of over Ubermensch. I'll give you credit, but I'm stealing that from know, my vernacular I, now. I can't give you credit. Yeah, ah, but, but, really? You know, but think like Harrison Ford, great, you know, Han Solo, great character, but he is working in the service of the royal mm-hmm. family. Yeah, it's and really just, all about one family. Like it's yeah, kind of like, like a little bit that. the antithesis of what Star Trek is. Star Trek is about like so many other it's a federation of planets. It is, you know, right. a wide exactly. universe. It is not a soap opera about one family. And that that is so antithetical to to me and my belief system. I'm not joking. Ask me the name of that some British royal guy died last month. I can't tell you his name. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry a guy died, but I don't care. I don't care. You know what, Josh? I'm like you, though. When people ask me about anyone famous, like, what do you think about Kim and Kanye's divorce? I'm like, I'm sorry for them. What more do Mm -hmm. you want me to say? Divorce sounds hard. Death sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care, though, is my subtext. I don't give a shit (laughs) because it's not in my reality, frankly, and I'm not in theirs, and that's okay. Yeah. Way far afield. I remember once years ago, some royal couple, young ones, I don't know, before Megan and whatever his name is, uh, uh, had come to America. And I was, there's a store in Santa Monica that sells all sorts of British food and magazines mm. and stuff. And I was there with a friend and we walked out and there was a news camera there. And they wanted to know what we thought about the royal couple coming to America. And I said, I mean, it just popped out. I said, my ancestors murdered people so that I wouldn't have to give a shit about them. <laughs> That's a generational thing, Josh, because I'm like, I don't give a sh- it doesn't, it's not in my reality. And it's <laughs> I really people younger than me who care very much about it. It really that. shouldn't be in other people's either. I think it's a distraction, but that listen, you don't have to agree with me. That's just my humble opinion. I want to turn to the last part of this quote, which is like they will vastly improve by the 23rd century. I'm that's like, a little I'm, specific. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my point. 
point of like, what do you, right? Is it the age of Aquarius? No, we're technically in that now. So what's happening in 2223? Other than, isn't there a stone song in the year 2323? There is. So maybe that's when everything changes and the Rolling Stones predicted it. I don't know, but 25, I- 2525. Oh, it's you're- not, It's not damn the Damn it. You're right. Who, who is it? <laughs> I can't remember. In the year 25. It is the year 2525. I felt like the Stones had a year one too, but you're right. It's not. But anyway, uh, I'm a little resentful that I'm not going to be alive then. That's the truth. Um, that's like I, How do you know? It's true. I don't know. In my mind, I'm going to be a time lord traveling, living forever, right? But ultimately, I'm not. That's the delusion I tell myself so I don't go, my, my meat suit is decaying every day <laughs> I live. And then you wake up one day and they've thawed your head out and it's the 24th century. I don't even know that I'd want them to freeze my head for the 23rd century, to be honest. Like, uh, listen, this is my specific belief. I don't expect anyone to believe. I think the soul and stuff is energy. And so I don't know uh, what happens to the soul and energy, but I know I get flashes of things that I'm like, I'm going to say it was a past collective consciousness. If it's not a past life, I do believe in collective consciousness mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. tap into. So I will be alive in a sense the 2323. Trent. That I'm having my head frozen. <laughs> are you really? Trent, would you freeze your... Yeah, none of us are going to freeze our head. I, I don't want to have to And pay it's funny. I honestly ne- like no, but I love that Golden Girls commercial where they all get their heads frozen and their heads. And wouldn't it be fun Wait, to... They- all the girls got their heads frozen? Yeah, it's a dream sequence. and uh, they all- oh, I, Yeah, because I was like, who's paying for the upkeep? You know how expensive it is to upkeep a body? Anyway, all right. So if you guys want to see the video of the quotes, you can go to the Roddenberry Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. And we'd really love to thank Josh Olson for joining us again. He thank is a so. BAFTA Academy-nominated screenwriter. We're very lucky to have him with us. And thanks also to Armin Shimmerman who read this quote for us, uh, which ended, as Gene always tends to do, on a very hopeful and optimistic note. And I think that that's why we love him so much. And we're here talking about his quotes. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us. Post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 